Well, good morning, Beach Point. Uh, and my name is Jason. I'm the associate pastor of Community Life here on the Fountain Valley campus. And we are in week four of a series called Confident and Unashamed. And it's built around this important um, verse uh, that, that's about an important event in First uh, John 2, 28. I'll just read it to you. It says, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, there's that event, we may be confident and unashamed at him, before him at his coming. And each of these weeks uh, that we've been talking, we've been trying to unpack and explore the big idea of how to become a church, a community of faith, a community of people who are confident and unashamed before Jesus when he returns. And so uh, I want to invite you now um, one more time before we're about to jump into the word to pray with me for that very thing this morning. God, we would come to you this morning and we would ask that um, as we speak about uh, your word, that you would give us guidance, that you would press in the areas that need to be pressed and that you would soothe the areas that need to be soothed. And so if I'm about to open my mouth and say something that comes just from me, a man, would you shut my mouth tightly? But if I'm about to open my mouth and say something that comes from you, the one true living God, would you open my mouth widely that I might boldly speak the words that you've given me, God? We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning, I have, um, I have a confession to make to you guys. Uh, I know some of you, this is, you're not even going to think this is really that big of a deal, but um, I have a, I, I'm not exactly what you would call a morning person. Um, you know, I have to sort of like give my life to Jesus every morning uh, to, to not just be the devil, you know, because I'm just so like, why didn't you return last night, Jesus? Um, every morning, it's just not... I just, I just don't like the mornings. And I've been trying to develop a habit of waking up, which for me, which was really early, which is probably not really early for you, but for me, I, I'm trying to wake up every morning at 6 a.m. Now, you're like, 6 a.m.? I mean, I've like gone for a run and, you know, clean the house or whatever. You know, I, I know for me, I know that it's, it's the best thing that I can do for me. If, if I wake up early when no one else in the house is awake, um, where there's no, no, nothing trying to get, grab me for my attention and my, my time, um, I know that that time with me and the Lord can be great. And it's not that I don't spend time with God anyways, but I, but I know that that time can be the best time for me. And I got to be honest with you this morning, it is not going super well. Um, you know, I've, I've always told people, right, if I wasn't a pastor, I would find a church that has a night service and never go any other service. Okay, because I feel like when I show up here at 7.30 a.m. on Sunday, I'm like walking quietly. I don't want to wake Jesus up, okay? It's really early, okay? You know, and you're like, 7.30, okay, it's, it's almost lunchtime. And, um, you know, but... It's, it really is a desire of mine. It's a, it's a huge desire of mine to, 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 to create this habit. And it's not going so well. And, and I, I still stay up too late because I'm getting ideas or, or thinking through things or watching something or having a conversation. And, you know, but I, I know that it's a habit that I need to make. And so right now there's a gap between my desire and my practice. You know, and I, I think that... Um, 
all of us can relate to this idea of, of having a, a gap between what we want to do and what we actually do, right? Uh, this morning, we're going to make a statement about how we ought to interact with one another. And I am confident and unashamed to say that you will agree with this statement. Every person in this room will agree with the statement we're going to make. But the difference is sometimes there's a gap between agreeing with something and living it out. Right? Maybe you're, maybe you're you know, at your work and you're having to make a decision you know, about uh, a project. And you know that you only have the funds to either fund your project or somebody on your 8 to 15's project. What do you do? What's the, what's the, way, to, what's the way to go? Maybe, maybe you're you know, a parent or a grandparent and you know, you've, got, you've got plans to spend time with your kids or your grandkids or maybe just you and your spouse. And it's been a while since you've had that good time, but then all of a sudden something comes up and someone really needs you. What do you do? See, today we're talking about these situations and these circumstances where it's not always as easy to love one another as it is when we sit in the pew on Sunday. You know, as we've been uh, studying this book, First uh, uh, John, this letter that John writes to the church in Ephesus, we've been, we've been seeing that there's, this, there's two groups, right? There's the group that, that John uh, is talking to, the, the church, and then inside that group, there's a special group called uh, the Gnostics. Um, and they are these group of people who believe that there's, that there's this, some sort of special knowledge where if you had this special knowledge you would understand that nothing that you say or do in the body even matters. The only thing that matters is when we, when we become spirits. When we're, when we're just spirits, that's the only thing that matters. So we can say or do anything. We can treat anyone any way. And it doesn't matter because it's just our physical body. That doesn't matter. You know? um, and you know, I tried that this week. I walked up to somebody and I punched him in the throat. And I said, hey, I'm a Gnostic. Um, just kidding, I didn't do that, and that wasn't even funny. And, um, you know, this, uh, <laughs> this letter is written in the midst of a people struggling with a gap. They've got a chasm between what they say they believe and how they're living their lives. And so, in this letter, we will see this big idea, this, this idea of love, right? John John's main emphasis in all of his letters is love. In fact, this is the third time in four chapters where love becomes the main idea of a chapter. And so with that in mind, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles or your mobile devices and open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's uh, Bibles in the racks in front of you. You can open that one. It's on page 1230. Um, I'm going to be reading uh, from my mobile device, so please don't text me. Um, So... You know, as you're turning there, I want to just give you kind of a little scene. Remember, we've got the, the two groups, the Gnostics and the, the Christians, and, and they're, they're kind of warring with one another. And this letter is written to the church about 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, so it's not very long after this, right? And, and it, you guys can probably relate to this. It, it doesn't take very long for problems to arise at any given moment. Maybe you, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe this week you said, yeah, I've seen that in my life moment by moment. Problems come as fast as I can put them out. And John is now dealing with a very particular problem where we find ourselves 
beginning in verse 7. So would you read along with me? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I don't know if you caught it, but in that passage, the word love was used about a bajillion times, okay? It's kind of an important idea here, and it really shapes and frames all of what we're talking about this morning. So I want to encourage you to grab inside your bulletins, your note page, uh, take notes and follow along. You remember way more what you write down. Our big idea, the sermon in a sentence, um, the idea that's framing and shaping everything we're talking about, and the first thing I want you to write down is this, that a confident and unashamed church loves one another sacrificially. A confident and unashamed church loves one another sacrificially. We need to love one another. We all know that, right? This is the statement that I said everyone's going to agree with. Hey, we should love one another. Everyone's like, yes, I'm on board for that. Let's champion that, right? But John is speaking again to a people who have a a gap between desire and practice. And so what he does is he tries to paint a picture of why. He gives it's a fancy church word theology. He gives gives the reason why we should do it. And then some practical ways to unblock or to maybe build the bridge over that chasm from desire to practice. And the first thing that John shows is not a list of how-tos. He's not saying, oh, here's five easy steps to love the most unlovable person in your life. No. What he does is he says, let me tell you why. Why you should do that. Why matters more than how. And this is the, the next thing I want you to write down is that when we love one another, this is what John says, we reflect God's character. We reflect God's character. When we love one another, this is the why. So John tells us that as Christians interact with one another and love one another the way God intended, they are mirrors of, God, of the character of God. Right? John tells us that for the very first time in Scripture, um, this hasn't been revealed at all in the entire Scriptures yet, that God is love. This is the first time this statement has ever been made in 1 John here. It's, it's his nature. He says, if we've really met God, we've met love. Uh, that, that, that God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit are loving in their nature, right? It's in my nature, in your nature, to have blood, throwing, blood flowing through our veins. That's in our nature. It's in our DNA. It's the way we're built. In that same way, love is God and God is love. It's that fundamental to his existence, right? So that means everything God does in my life and in your life is loving. Even when it's difficult, even when it's correction, even when it's rebuke, it's love. The scriptures teach us 
that we were created in the image of God. This is a really ancient way of saying that a piece of God's identity has been imprinted on us. I don't know if you remember, um, you know, that project that you did when you were a kid, maybe in preschool or kindergarten, where you had to take your hand and you, you put it in the clay. Or maybe you remember when your kids did that, right? And you, and you have a handprint, right? Well, in that clay isn't your hand. You can, like, walk around with a piece of clay and, like, hey, look, it's my hand. But it's not really your hand, but it's your imprint. It looks just like it. It has all the characteristics of it because the clay absorbs the fine lines and contours. In the same way, we have been imprinted with the image of God. That that the characteristics of God have been placed on each and every person. That not only do people have uh, the ability to love because God is love, they also have the desire for love and to, to love. Right? All of us are created with this desire. We're all created with a desire for love, right? There's songs about love, there's stories about love. You know, the world longs for love. Why? It's because we've been imprinted with a fundamental image of a need for love. See, but something unique happens when we become Christians, right? It says that the scripture teaches that we're born again and we receive. God, the Holy Spirit, enters us. And what do we have total and unlimited access to? The God who is love. God himself. God is love, and and so when we love one another, we reflect his character. We show that we know him as we love one another. Right? If we know God, the God who is in his character, in his essence, love, then we ought to love one another. Just like if you know me, you know, don't call me before nine. It's not going to be a good conversation. You and I will not have a friendly conversation. It'll be straight to voicemail, decline. And I'll decline you in the Lord, okay? Um, I'll decline your call in the Lord. And it's because that's, that's just who I am. Now, if you want to call me at 11 at night, I'm down. Let's go hang out. You know, you're like, 11? I've been asleep. No, I'm excited. Let's do something. See, in, if you knew that about, if you knew me, you'd know that about me. In the same way, if you know God, you would experience love. So God gives us this image. He, he gives us this imprint so that we can reflect it. When we love one another, we reflect that love. But he goes on to say, what does this love look like, right? Because we saw in the video, love has a thousand definitions. Love has 10,000 definitions, right? We say, I love my spouse and I love tacos. Both are, should be statements you say all the time, okay? They're delicious, but you don't mean the same thing, right? So what does John really mean? What does he mean when he, when he talks about this love? Well, this is the next thing I want you to write down. When we love one another, we must love sacrificially like God. We must love sacrificially like God. When we truly love one another, our brothers and sisters in the faith, the way God has showed us, the nature of that is sacrificial. It's costly. It's not cheap. Right? John knows that this word needs some clarification. And so he he goes on to say, 
Look, you have to understand the kind of nature, the, the kind of love, excuse me, that we're talking about, the nature of that love is beyond what you're thinking. It's bigger than what you're thinking, right? The, the word he uses for it is the Greek word that many of you have heard before. It's the word agape, right? It, it's the closest thing in Greek, uh, the Greek language that, that we have to the Hebrew word for the love of God, which is hesed. Right? I don't know about you, but if you went and looked up the definition of love in the dictionary, it would be about maybe a page. Well, the definition of the Greek word agape is about 10 pages. And the definition for God's love, hesed, in Hebrew is about 200 pages. <clears throat> it's not brotherly love. It's not affinity love. It's not, hey, you and I are kind of similar. We have some common traits, so we're, I'm going to care about you and love you. It's a sacrificial love that gives itself away for the benefit of others. Always. Right? See, this is what God did. This is what John says, right? He says that this is how God showed his love among us in verse 9. He sent his one and only son that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We need to understand that this kind of life-altering, eternity-changing love isn't something that you stumble upon. It's something that's pursued you your whole life. It's not something that's pursued you. It's someone that's pursued you. And long before, I love the way Kathy said it, long before we ever uttered praise, God was worthy of it. Long before we ever sought him, he sought us. Right? The most famous verse in all the Bible that's, that's held up at football games and baseball games, you know, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Right, but when did that happen? Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners. When we were running from God, as we run from God, as there are many, many gaps between our desire and our practice, God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. We see that this, this love that God's talking about, it has two kind of factors to it. It's, it's self-sacrifice on the one hand, and it's action for the benefit of others on the other. See, God's love is shown. It's demonstrated. It's not simply spoken. It's not simply sung about. It's not simply thought about. It's not written about. It takes on life through the actions of God and his people. He loved us first. He initiates it. And we, when we reflect it, or when we do it, we reflect his image. And as we reflect his image, the only one that's correct is that sacrificial love. Because that's the nature of God's love for you. Right? God's love reaches out to us even when we don't deserve it. I mean, think about all those secret things that only you know. And then, I don't know if you know this, you know, <clears throat> your brain processes about uh, 500 things at any given second. Only, you're only co conscious of about 10 of them. 490 you're not even aware of. They're all in your subconscious. So think of all the things that you're consciously aware of about yourself. And now think about the 490 other things that you're not consciously aware of for yourself. 
God knows all those, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he says, every day and twice on Sunday, I do it again. I do it again and again and again because that is my love. It sacrifices. So what does John go on to say though in verse 11? Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is our motive, right? This is, this is why we reciprocate it, right? This is why we ought to, as brothers and sisters in Christ, move past our petty reasons for not loving our brothers and sisters. This is why we ought to move past the not petty, the real hurt and pain inflicted upon us by our brothers and sisters, not because it's what good Christians do, not because it's what you know, God said in the Bible, but because God demonstrates his love. And so we too also ought to demonstrate that same love. Since we know God's love, we ought to show it. We ought to show God's love, right? I mean, John couldn't understand the chasm. He struggled. Right? Remember, you got the two camps of people, the, the people who are disagreeing over an idea. And he couldn't understand that if you've really met God, how could you treat your brother or sister that way? How could you, how could you talk about your brother or sister that way? How, how could you shun them so badly? How could you not include them? How could you not give yourself away for them? John couldn't understand that chasm. Because it didn't matter if it was easy people to love, difficult people to love, people who you just want to do anything else but love. If we know God's love, if we've experienced it deep in our bones, how could we not give it away? I've heard people as a pastor, I've heard people say a bunch of times, like, I, I, love, I love my church. I just don't like so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so in it, right? First of all, that's totally bad theology. You don't, you, you don't go to church. Like, we're not allowed to say that in my house. You don't go to church. You go to a worship service. You're the church. You're the church. It's not me. I mean, it's not just me. It's not, it's not this place. Right? Everywhere you go, there the church of Jesus is. Right? And, and so, you know, my son and daughter, just, they just get so annoyed with me. Daddy, are we going to church today? No. What? It's Sunday. We go to church. No, we don't. And they're like, Dad, you know what I mean. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. If you get it in your head that church is a place you go, then it means that you can treat the people in the seats however you want. Because you don't see them as the beloved child the beloved daughter, the beloved son of the living God, right? And, and so one of my friends, he taught me it this way. Um, he said, well, since the people are the church and the scripture talks about the church as the bride of Christ, another way to put it, Jesus's wife, um, essentially what you're saying when you hate your brother or sister, or when, you, when you do ill to your brother or sister, you're saying, I love Jesus, but I hate his wife. Because you're hating his bride, the church. 
Now, now I'm going to be honest with you. If I came up, if you came up to me and said, Jason, I want to just let you know, man, I love you. You're the best. But I hate your wife. I mean, she is just the worst. There would be some conversations that you and I would have to have about never speaking again and owing apologies and making it right. Because you can't, this is how, this is how difficult it was for John because this is the way he saw it. You can't say I love God and hate his wife. That's, in, that's, that's impossible. You cannot have a relationship that way with any human. You can't go to your best friend and say, I love you, but I hate your spouse. You're not going to be friends for very long. It won't work. Right? In the same way, when we harbor hate and bitterness and pain and conflict, gossip, envy, slander of our brothers and sisters, with our actions, we are saying, I love you, Jesus, but I hate your wife. And I know that's a really hard statement. It's bothered me ever since this person taught me it, like a decade ago. And I hope it agitates you in the same way that it does me, because it reminds me that every single one of you matters as much to God as I do. And so I need to give myself away in that way. Would you lay down your life? Because when you do, and this is the third thing I want you to write down, or the fourth, rather, that when we love one another, the unseen God is seen in us. When we love one another, the unseen God is seen in us. Right, verse 12 says it this way. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's a new word. Um, it's a new word. It's, it's cool. Um, you know, as a youth pastor, I used to get this all the time. I used to get this all the time. Like, well, somebody in us, that's so magical. It's so magical. Michael, you're the best. Um, so, uh, You know, uh, as a youth pastor, I got this all the time. Well, somebody somewhere in the Bible had to see God. Nope, never happened. Never happened. Closest people got is like, you know, like, hey, turn your back and and I'll like sort of like walk by you, but don't really look because if you do, you'll die. It'll be bad for you, right? Uh, And because the, the, the amazing majesty and glory of God and perfect holiness against our sin, our sin nature, it just, the, the two just don't mix when they spend time together outside of Jesus. And so, you know, when we think about this, what we're, what we're really saying is, is John's previous, well, excuse me, not previous, his, uh, his later gospel, right? He's going to write a gospel and he's going to say this teaching of Jesus. It's, it's so huge. And, and friends, you'll get, it, you'll get what I mean by this in a second. There's no plan B. This is the only plan there is to save everyone on the planet. And it's this. John 13, 34 and 35. We'll throw it up here on the screen. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And get this. By this, everyone will know you are my followers. There's no plan B. No tent revival. No concert no um, 
big Easter invitation. None of those matter if we don't love one another, right? The greatest example that we've gotten to experience in the last few months um, of this is uh, the, the fundraiser that happened um, for the Campbells at Teal Flacco's. We have a photo of it, I think. Like, if you can see, the line's going all the way back to the fence, you know, in that far right, uh, far right middle of the picture. You know, people, <clears throat> people stood in line for about two hours to get a $2 taco. Okay? Now, granted, they're the best tacos money can buy in Fountain Valley. Out, you know, maybe in the world, okay? Um, Caesar's giving me money for that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, but people are not standing in line for two hours for a taco. They're standing in line for a person. They're saying, that person, I'm going to lay down my life for that person. And I don't, know, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys understand this. The world saw this moment. I coach my son's baseball team at Fountain Valley uh, Pony Baseball. And I've had so many people say, you're a pastor at the, at the taco church. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the best name ever. Uh, you know? But think about it. People far from God saw that moment. And they said, that's, that's amazing. In fact, multiple people have said to me, that was the best thing I've ever seen in my whole life. I've never seen anything like that before. Friends, this should not be an event that people have never seen anything like it before. This should be every day that ends in why. Giving ourselves away so that people see God. People will see. Every time we take a meal, we give a listening ear, we speak encouraging words, we stand in line for two hours, we give something away to somebody else, we see the need and we respond sacrificially and generously, people see God. Is there anything worth more. And so my question for you this morning in in response to this passage, there's really no other question. John John knew, John knew he wasn't perfect and and his church wasn't going to be perfect either. But he wanted to, to, to lessen the chasm between desire and reality. And so my question for you is, and, and for me, how will you grow in loving one another sacrificially? And this is the last thing I want you to write down. How will you grow in loving one another sacrificially? You know, actually, <clears throat> if you're like me, you, you need some handles, and I'm going to give you I'm going to give you some handles in just a moment. But I want to say, if you've never experienced God's love through Jesus, if you've never if you've never said yes, I want to follow Jesus, Jesus, I believe. In you, I believe that you're the son of God. That's where you start right there. Because you can't give something away that you don't yet have. And so if that's you, I want to I invite you this morning to say, Jesus, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to follow you. But if, if you're a Christian here this morning, and then I, then I want to challenge you is, do you show up to the worship service so that you can get what you want for you and your kids, for you and your family? 
Friends, that's called consumerism, not Christianity. That's self-serving, not self-sacrifice. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with showing up and enjoying yourself. Please do. I hope you do. But if the reason you're here is to enjoy yourself, not to give yourself away, then I think we're missing the mark. What is it that's in that chasm for you? Is it fear? I don't know. I've given myself away before and I've been hurt. Is it, is it maybe just selfishness, right? Like, it's, um, you know what? I don't have time for it. Maybe, maybe it's just that. Maybe it's, it's time. Maybe you've made your life so busy doing God's work that you forget why you're doing it and how to do it. So I want to challenge you with that question. How will you grow sacrificially in three ways? I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, I'm going to invite you to pray in just a moment, and I want you to ask God, God, would you show me the answers to these three questions? And then we're going to throw them up here on the screen. Three growth challenges. What could you do in the next 24 hours from right now, 921, by, before 921 a.m. tomorrow, what could you do to give yourself away to a brother or sister? What's one way you could do it? Second challenge. What's something you could do over the next seven days before you show up here in this room to worship and praise God with the praise that he's due? What could you do to give yourself away? And then lastly, maybe you're like me. Maybe there's a habit that needs to get developed. And it might be the same habit, right? Maybe the habit for you isn't, isn't I'm going to go do something for someone. It's I haven't been very good about just sitting and spending time with God. And I, I need that. And allowing God to transform you through that time. Friends, our church should be different than the world. It should love differently than the world. They should see something they've never seen before. And they'd wonder what it is. And we'd say, oh, oh, you don't know. It's the unseen God. It's the unseen God. Imagine what would happen if the people came through, that came to this campus experienced the love of God so deeply that it changed them? Imagine if, if people showed up here and it, instead of seeing a friendly or nicer version of themselves, you know, they saw a sacrificial love like they'd never seen before. I mean, imagine a brother or a sister that you have a struggle with. Now imagine you or, your, or that brother or sister that you have the struggle with bringing their 8 to 15 here. Someone from their 8 to 15, their small relational world that God wants them to make a big impact in. And that person on their 8 to 15 knows about your conflict. They know how hard it was. But instead of seeing you awkwardly stare at them across the patio, they saw brothers and sisters embracing, putting things aside for the deep love of God. I mean, just so you know, that's what kept me coming here. First time I ever showed up to Beach Point, it wasn't Beach Point then. It was the church with the longest acronym in the world. FBC, HB slash FV. August 17th, 1994, I showed up to The Rock on a Wednesday night. And I thought the people were weird. And I thought the people were crazy. Both were true. But here's the thing. The way they loved each other, 
the way they talked to and about each other. I'd never heard it before. And it kept me coming long enough to get me to go to a winter camp where I met Jesus. Friends, your love could bring the next pastor of Beach Point Church. It could happen. It's happened actually three times in all of your lifetimes. It could happen again. How will you begin to live this out? To live this loving, sacrificial life for your brothers and sisters? Pray and ask God for those three ways. God, I, I want to do what you want me to do. Just like we sang. It's in response to your glory, to your wonder, to your majesty. So God, I got to ask, what do you need to do in me and through me this morning? Would you reflect and pray?